As China's 20th party, Congress gives Xi Jinping an unprecedented third term. What will his plans for the future really entail for the world and India in particular? And will China's fighting spirit mean more conflict in the region? Hello and welcome to Worldview at the Hindu with me, Sohasini Heather. This is episode 84 and we're going to take a deep dive into the 20th Party Congress held every five years of the Chinese Communist Party, which completed a century last year. Now, this party congress is significant for a number of reasons, including that it is over 100 years since the party began. But here's why there's so much international attention being given to it. To begin with, it is the first time in more than 30 years that the CPC has re-elected a general secretary for the third time. In 2018, President Xi Jinping had dispensed with term limits of two, year, of two terms, or what is 10 years. And this could mean that the 69-year-old leader could remain China's leader for the next decade or more, particularly as in his speech that he gave there, he outlined his vision for China in 2035. More than anything, the Xi Jinping thought or a new era of socialism with Chinese characteristics, as it's known, of a more muscular, aggressive, fighting China appears really to have set aside or discarded the previous Deng Xiaoping thought of keeping a low profile, building your strength, biding your time and not taking a lead. Remember, only three leaders really have had their thought go into the constitution. Mao Zedong, then Deng Xiaoping, and now Xi Jinping is expected to. So that's a measure of how powerful he is. Secondly, the fact that Premier Li Keqiang is stepping down this time, but no successor is being identified for Xi Jinping, points to the fact that the Chinese Politburo, the most powerful body, will largely be filled with Xi's men. There's present, of course, only one woman in the 25-member Politburo at present. Uh, there are no women in the seven-member Politburo Standing Committee, or PSC as it's known. So there are few challengers to Xi Jinping's policies. She has also done away with the more electoral version of choosing a party delegate through straw polls in each district. He now picks them from what he calls a system of democratic recommendation really nomination. So the 2,296 delegates and 80 odd invitees that have come to that party congress are by and large done through Xi Jinping's ideas and, and from what he wants for the party. Now, this is also the first CPC since the COVID pandemic. And this is the third big reason. Even as the congress got underway, in fact, right now, Beijing is under several lockdowns. COVID numbers, in fact, this wave of COVID numbers have quadrupled in Beijing. And unlike most other countries where they are trying to build immunity to COVID, Xi Jinping has actually enforced a very strict zero COVID policy. And as a result, and you're seeing that over these past two years, China says it hasn't had the mass deaths of other countries, but it continues to grapple with it. It also continues to grapple with the impact on the economy. China's own stated goals of 5.5% growth seem very difficult at this time. China is grappling with lockdowns, with stock market crashes, also with a massive property market slump, a housing slump. And remember, China makes up nearly a fifth of global GDP today, so much of the world's supply chains that this will affect the global economy as well. Fourth, 
For India, this was an important Congress to watch. It came amidst the LAC standoff since April 2020. And although Xi Jinping has said that he wants to build closer ties with the neighborhood, he said that in his speech there, the event really began with a video clip of the clashes in Galwan in 2020, where the Indian army lost at least 20 Indian soldiers. China has admitted to at least four of its soldiers being killed. The fact that China rakes up this footage and that the PLA commander at Galwan, Chief Abao, was actually amongst the 2,300-odd CPC delegates present is also very significant for India. Fifth, the world watched the Congress closely for future signs of global conflict. Of course, the CPC came amidst the Russian war in Ukraine, and we don't know how that will end. But it also follows the recent big military exercises and tensions over Taiwan, worries about Xi Jinping's plans to annex or reunify Taiwan. In fact, this week, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken warned that China has accelerated its plans over Taiwan. The U.S. Navy chief actually warned it could be as early as even next year. In his speech, Xi Jinping promised a fully modernized and restructured PLA by 2027. That's just five years away. Repeatedly also spoke about China's defense of its territorial boundaries. Listen in first to what he said about Taiwan. In response to separate activities aimed at Taiwan independence and gross provocations of external interference in Taiwan affairs, we have resolutely fought against separatism and counter-interference, demonstrating our resolve and ability to safeguard China's sovereignty and territorial integrity and to oppose Taiwan independence. Now, of course, you can read much more about the Party Congress on our website, www.thehindu.com. And our correspondent, Anand Krishnan, in particular, an expert and author of two books on the country, is over there at the CPC. In fact, he went into quarantine and then suited up for the Chinese Party Congress, one of the few correspondents to be invited there. And earlier this week, I spoke to him about the outcomes of the Congress. And I began by asking him just what Xi Jinping had said about Taiwan. Well, here at the Party Congress, there hasn't really been a new declaration on Taiwan, but more a reiteration of China's stand. The highest levels, of course, from Xi Jinping on the opening of the Congress, that China wanted a peaceful settlement to the issue, but it would not renounce the use of force. So I think that's quite a strong uh, statement that we saw. And I think more than that, uh, it was also a message uh, to the U.S. as much as it was to Taiwan. Uh, even if the U.S. wasn't mentioned per se, the fact that China would brook no interference from external actors, I think it kind of underlined the focus that Xi Jinping and the Communist Party have been putting on the Taiwan question. But at the same time, I don't think any observers expect China to actually take any major steps, at least in the imminent future. At least the language in the Communist Party of China's 20th Congress work report suggested actually more of the same uh, rather than any significant departure. Okay, and how does the Galwan video really fit in with China's so-called efforts to conclude border talks in the LAC standoff? What does India really need to watch out for? So one of the sort of curious tensions in, in China's approach to the neighborhood in the Xi era has been on the one hand a focus on neighborhood diplomacy, especially through the BRI, but on the other, it's very clear that China sees certain red lines and a very hard approach to issues of uh, territory, territory and sovereignty. I think that the fact that uh, the Galwan Valley Commander Chief Abao was chosen among just the 2,296 delegates from all over China, the fact that he was one of the 300 PLA delegates, even though obviously he's not 
usually of the high ranks that party delegates from the PLA are. I think it's extremely important and symbolic, not just for domestically in China, uh, but also externally. And I think that uh, in recent days, in the lead up to the 20th Party Congress, there has been an inclusion of the Galwan Valley clash and references to it in at least two different Communist Party videos that were produced uh, to mark the 20th Party Congress. And I think that there's a very clear sign there that the approach that we've seen on the LAC in the last two years is here to stay in the Xi Jinping era. The fact that China under Xi Jinping has increasingly framed what were territorial differences between India and China as issues of sovereignty for China. That kind of implies to some level that there's a, there's a reduced space, as Beijing sees it at least, for negotiation and managing the boundary peacefully by both sides. And a, and a unilateralism, in fact, in how China is approaching disputes which obviously has been reflected uh, in, in the LAC in the last two years. Of course, there has been disengagement now in five out of the seven friction areas. Uh, it has taken such a long time uh, for disengagement to be reached. And I think that uh, even in the remaining two friction areas in Demchok and Depsang, the negotiations are, are going to be difficult. And more than that, it's hard to see right now how there's going to be beyond that any de-escalation and de-induction of the forces that China has put forward, given the focus on how much uh, they've been emphasizing the boundary and safeguarding boundaries, uh, one would assume that this sort of a sort of approach is, is going to be here to stay in, in Xi Jinping's third term. Now, with the third term for Xi Jinping being a given, what really does this break from the past for the first leader to not step down after two terms mean for China? Uh, comparisons to Mao Zedong and Deng Xiaoping, really. Is Xi Jinping thought really considered the successor to Chinese political thought? As it usually uh, is the case with party congresses in China, the composition of the next leadership of the next five years of the Politburo Standing Committee is a closely kept secret. But I think what we do know and what we do expect is that the next lineup for the next five years is going to be full of Xi Jinping's men. And that means that he's very much going to be in even more uh, control and command over policy, including economic policy in the next five years. Uh, but also, we don't expect successor to be named. Those that join him on the Politburo Standing Committee are likely to be uh, old enough where they can serve another five-year term, but uh, not be around for the next 10 or 15 years, as would be required of a successor. And I think that's, of course, intended uh, so that Xi Jinping is very clear uh, that he and he alone is going to be uh, the focus at the top of the Communist Party for the next five years. And the biggest consequence of this is that uh, what has been a really stable succession mechanism for the last 30 years is now really an uncertainty because no one quite knows how things are going to work after Xi. And I think that's a huge uh, question mark in terms of political stability in China as far as that's concerned. And finally, just how much is China's economic slowdown, particularly since the COVID crisis began, a worry at the Congress? Uh, is there any pushback, if at all, uh, to President Xi's governance over the handling of the COVID pandemic? Well, I think it's clear that the economy is, of course, the single biggest question on everyone's minds at the 20th Party Congress. Uh, the second quarter, China's economy grew by just 0.4%. That's the official number. So unofficially, many people would say that probably contracted. Uh, the third quarter GDP figures that were due uh, this week in mid-October have been delayed, which is quite unprecedented because of the Party Congress. And that's only furthered more concerns about the state of China's economy, although Chinese officials have said it was better than expected, uh, but though the numbers haven't come out, I think that there's no question that the zero COVID uh, regime has had a huge impact. It's depressed business sentiment, a lot of uncertainty in terms of the policy, uh, which brings uh, with it lockdowns uh, and the like. 
uh, here in Beijing, there's still an intense mass testing requirement. People have to test every 72 hours to get access to uh, public transport or shopping malls or hospitals. Uh, and President Xi made clear in his uh, opening speech to the party congress on October 16th that he very strongly defended the zero COVID policy, saying that it had saved lives, uh, which Chinese officials, of course, remind us, uh, helped China avoid mass deaths, uh, unlike much of the rest of the world. But the question that many people want to know is why there hasn't been any sort of discussion of an exit strategy or a boost in terms of China's now very slow booster vaccination campaign, things that would allow Beijing to open up. Uh, right now, the focus very much seems to be on continuing the current state of affairs. As to the question of pushback, it's of course no question that there is a lot of concern, especially in the business community. But uh, as far as within the Communist Party, it's, it's difficult for us to see on the outside. But all indications are that Xi Jinping has his way with appointments that he wants at the top of the party. It's clear that he, despite the economic concerns, at least from the outside, it seems he's very much uh, in firm control. The Hindus, Anand Krishnan over there reporting from Beijing. Now, as we have said before on Worldview, India really look ha has to look at the China challenge from three broad aspects. The first is bilateral ties, including that standoff at the line of actual control. The second is the maritime sphere, where the Chinese Navy is increasingly making its presence felt. And India, the net regional security provider in the Indian Ocean region, is part of arrangements as a part of a sort of pushback, like the Quad. It has Indo-Pacific partnerships with the European Union, with the UK, is building them with other countries as well. The third is India's own neighborhood, or what's the SARC region, where Chinese investment, Chinese loans, particularly through the Belt and Road Initiative, are changing the geopolitical landscape. India has tried to push back in countries like Nepal, like the Maldives, Bangladesh and Sri Lanka. And that's really been about uh, providing more sustainable financial support. Uh, India is also exploring partnerships with Japan and the US for co-financing, co-producing projects in the region. Those haven't gotten off uh, as, as to as much of a start as well. But in addition to these three sets of challenges, increasingly in the multilateral sphere, India is facing the China threat. Despite being a part of uh, the BRICS and the SCO with China, New Delhi has faced Chinese opposition to its quest for a place in the UN Security Council, and even on something more recently like terrorist designations. Remember, just this week, China blocked the fifth uh, Indian attempt in the past four months to list designated terrorists at the UN Security Council. Now, at a speech this week, External Affairs Minister S.J. Shankar actually spelled out what is India's current perspective on ties with China. Uh, there's no video of that speech we could get you, but here's a Twitter thread uh, that he put out, and here's broadly what he said. First, India has dealt with China bilaterally, not through the prism of a third party, meaning, of course, the United States, and saying, essentially, we have kept all our discussions, resolutions of disputes at a bilateral sphere. He also said that the old era of self-restraint appears to be over, not just for China, but for India as well. Very significant. He said peace and tranquility in the border areas remains the basis for normal relations, but in a sign of perhaps softening, he didn't mention a reversion to the pre-April 2020 troops position at the LAC, what's called status quo ante. Fourth, he said India must be prepared to compete in its neighborhood, that it was natural that neighbors would look for other sources of funding. And finally, he said that establishing a new modus vivendi, which is really a new basis for dialogue between the two countries that have had such a hard time in dialogue in the last few years, is not going to be easy, is what he said. Yet, 
He said, it is a task that cannot be set aside. And then went on to say it can only be achieved on the basis of mutual respect, mutual sensitivity and mutual interest. Uh, so a very interesting enunciation of Indian policy towards China over there. Clearly, the 20th Party Congress's reaffirmation of Xi Jinping and his more aggressive tone towards the world and particularly to India is going to be an enduring challenge for New Delhi. Uh, while there is a chance that Prime Minister Modi and President Xi, uh, who are both going to attend the G20 summit in Bali next month, November 15-16, and Xi Jinping is expected to visit India for the SCO summit and the G20 summits next year, the two men will have opportunities to mend their relationship that has really fallen from the heights of Wuhan and Mamlapuram. But trust between the two countries will take much longer uh, time to build and can only begin really when the standoff at the LAC is actually resolved. So let's get you some reading recommendations. And of course, we've given you so many here at Worldview, but we're going to give you some specific ones. Firstly, on the Chinese Communist Party itself and Xi Jinping, I have a few books for you. The first is The Party by Richard McGregor. This is something Anant has actually recommended. There's the Princeton China series, particularly these two books by Yan Shuetong, who's edited the whole series. One is called Ancient Chinese Thought, Modern Chinese Power. The other is called The Leadership and Rise of Great Powers. Another book, From Rebel to Ruler, 100 Years of the Chinese Communist Party by Tony Seitch, a must read. Then there is Inside the Mind of Xi Jinping, a very interesting look by François Bougon, especially on the lessons that Xi Jinping has learned from Gorbachev. He doesn't want to be like him or the collapse of the Soviet Union. And for those really interested in Xi Jinping's thinking and his ideas, the Governance of China uh, series is really brought out by the Chinese government. It's distributed at major events as well. Then we look at some of the books on India-China relations. And of course, again, there is a plethora of them. But I'm just going to take a look uh, and recommend for you some of the big ones, particularly recent ones. Three books by former Foreign Secretary and former Ambassador to China, Vijay Gokhale. One is called The Long Game, How China Negotiates with India. And then there is Tiananmen Square, The Making of a Protest. We had a separate podcast on this as well. And after Tiananmen, The Rise of China. This is the new book and really very interesting. Then there's How China Sees India and the World by Sham Saran. Uh, another new book, Strategic Challenges, India in 2030, edited by Jaydev Ranade. Of all those essays, there's a special chapter written by Mr. Ranade on dealing with India's China challenge in 2030. Very important. And finally, there is India's China Challenge, a journey through China's rise and what it means for India by my colleague Anand Krishnan. You just saw him there. And it really is the most up-to-date look at modern day ties between the two countries. We hope you enjoy reading all of them and you, we hope you do return to Worldview and join us again. From the team, thanks for watching.